This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about the abominable snowman. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and stories about this elusive creature for dramatic effect. Eric Shipton's expedition had been making good time up the mountain when the strangeness began. The group had been winding its way around the giant base of Mount Everest for several weeks. With Tibet closing its borders to foreigners following the communist takeover, their 1951 mission was to find a viable route to Everest summit from the newly opened Nepal side of the mountain. Ed Hillary was at the front of the pack. The young New Zealander had been a late addition to the expedition and was eager to prove himself to the rest of the crew. They were trekking down yet another snow-laden path when a strange, otherworldly sound echoed across the mountains. Ed stopped in his tracks, ears straining against the howling wind, it had sounded like the mournful cry of an animal, but unlike any creature that Ed had heard before. Glancing at the worried faces of his companions, he could see that they had heard it too. Eric Shipton, the leader, clapped Ed on the shoulder as he marched past. The mountain plays tricks on you out here. Sound carries. It's probably just a bear a hundred miles off. As the group started forward again, Ed turned his attention to the horizon. On a nearby ridge, he could make out a brown smudge that seemed out of place. As he watched, the smudge rose until it was standing like a man on two thick, shaggy legs. It threw its head back and again unleashed its haunting cry.
Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today we're discussing the Abominable Snowman, also known as the Yeti. This creature has purportedly stalked the mountainous areas of Nepal, Tibet, and Bhutan for hundreds of years. Often reported, but never caught, the Yeti is the spirit of the harsh conditions of the Himalayas, where death is a constant companion, always hidden just beyond the next ridge. The Yowie, Sasquatch, Bigfoot. If the stories are to be believed, mountainous regions the world over are home to races of mysterious ape-like creatures. Every tale a hiker brings back of a strange, hairy man in the bush only adds to the legend. The abominable snowman, the wild man of the Himalayas, has stalked the highest mountains in the world for hundreds of years. Natives of Nepal, Tibet, and Bhutan spot him in the distance. The harsh, wintry sunlight glancing off the dark, russet fur that covers his body. Tribes that live in the mountain valleys have many names for him, but the most widely used is the Tibetan word yeti, coming from the words ya, meaning rocky place, and dread, meaning bear, Yeti is a fitting name for a hairy creature that lives above the Himalayan tree line at the highest points in the world. The stories of the Yeti are thought to have originated with the Sherpa people of Tibet, who brought the tales with them when they traveled across the Himalayas into Nepal, Bhutan, and India in the middle of the 16th century. Long before that, word of the strange creature spread as far west as ancient Greece, where it caught the attention of the legendary military commander Alexander the Great. After conquering the Indus Valley in modern-day Pakistan and northwest India in 326 BCE, he demanded to be shown the fabled yeti he had heard so many tales about. The locals refused. They said the valley was much too warm for the ape-men, and none would survive the trek down from the tall, freezing mountains. In more modern times, stories of the elusive snowman continued to intrigue visitors from the West. In 1921, journalist Henry Newman introduced the creature to Western audiences when he published an interview with a group of British mountaineers who had just returned from Tibet. The mountaineers had found a large, human-like footprint in the snow during their trek. Their Sherpa guides had immediately claimed the footprint belonged to the Meto Kongmi, a term that translated to man-bear snowman. 
Somehow, meto was mistranslated by Newman as meaning dirty or filthy rather than man-bear. He thought that the word abominable had a nice ring to it, so he switched it out for filthy. Thus, the abominable snowman was launched to notoriety. Not long after, mountain mania took hold of popular culture. Mountaineers were celebrities, and none more than Sir Edmund Hillary, who is known as the first man to reach the summit of Mount Everest in 1953. With all eyes on Everest, there was a sudden boom of interest in anything Yeti. Yeti sightings, Yeti hair, even Yeti droppings. And Hillary was at the head of the charge. After summiting the top of the world, his next quest was to find the spirit of the mountains itself, the abominable snowman. But the creature isn't all that easy to catch. While some believe it could be a long-extinct species of megafauna, like the mastodon or saber-toothed tiger, others doubt it ever existed outside of legend. If you ask the nomadic storytellers who still spin tales of the Yeti, they may tell you something different altogether. The Yeti isn't an animal, but a spirit, a divine being, a reminder that man can never truly master the wilderness. Ed was happy to finally be huddled around the campfire. The men of the 1951 Everest expedition were currently sitting at 13,000 feet above sea level, and the air was already freezing. The bitter wind was whipping past the mouth of the shallow cave they had pitched their camp in, howling like a pack of wild dogs. Or maybe those were wild dogs, their cries echoing through the mountainside. At the thought, Ed drew closer to the fire, wrapping his mittens around a steaming mug of black, bitter coffee. Dawa Sherpa broke the men's silence. Another story tonight? Dawa, a rugged, good-natured man of around 35, was one of the dozen-odd Sherpa porters who were accompanying the British reconnaissance expedition at the base of Everest. Like many of the Sherpa men on the trek, Dawa was a born mountaineer. He had already attempted the mountain's summit on three different expeditions, all of which had failed. The men nodded eagerly, murmuring their agreement into their tins of heated beans. Though they had taken turns telling stories the first few weeks of the journey, it soon became apparent that Dawa had a gift for bringing the nomads' folktales to life. Dawa's sun-tanned face broke into a broad smile, his dark eyes twinkling in the firelight. Very well. I had a friend once from Bhutan. He told me the story of the Mir God, the Yeti, who would not bend. One beautiful spring day, Mimi Kedola, or Grandfather Kedola, was walking in a mountain meadow with his son, Shati. They were on the trail of a young yak that had wandered off from their herd. Mimi Kedola and Shati had been walking for most of the day when the yak's tracks suddenly turned, following a dry creek bed into a shallow river valley. Shati quickly scrambled to the bottom of the creek bed, 
Mimi Kedola, who was no longer a young man, followed behind him slowly, carefully picking his way down the slippery embankment. Mimi Kedola was so focused on his feet that he didn't notice his son stopping until he ran right into him. Fifty feet ahead of them lay a gigantic mound of dark, reddish-brown fur. The mound was rising and falling in a slow rhythm, recognizable as long, even breaths. Mimi Kedola and Shati looked at each other in confusion. This creature was like nothing they had ever seen. Before Mimi Kedola could stop his son, Shati took an inquisitive step toward the heap of fur. The creature stirred. Shati and Mimi Kedola stood stock still, terrified they'd woken the monster. But it simply rolled to its side and settled back into slumber. Now the two men could see the creature clearly for the first time. Though it was covered in thick, dark fur, the animal was not a bear or a yak. Its human-like face was mostly hairless, with long, bushy eyebrows and whiskers. Enormously long arms cushioned the beast's head like a pillow. Mimi Kedola whispered urgently to his son, It is Mirgod, a yeti. We must leave before it stirs again. The spirits of the wild are not to be trifled with. Shati scowled, still not taking his eyes off the creature as he whispered back, But father, who will ever believe us? We must bring back proof of the mere god to show everyone back at home. Before Mimi Kedola could move, Shati swiftly trotted up to the creature, grabbed a handful of its long hairs, and pulled. The yeti awoke, roaring in pain and surprise. Its coal-black eyes narrowed as it spotted Mimi Kedola and Shati. Before the creature could get to its feet, the old man and his son were racing down the creek bed. Mimi Kedola, who had been so careful before, was now slipping and sliding down the track as fast as he could. The creature followed behind them on two legs, quickly gaining ground with impossibly long strides. Shati and Mimi Kedola ran faster, till they saw an enormous tree had fallen across the creek bed, blocking the path. But Shati motioned to his father. The base of the creek was so low that if they went to the deepest point, the pair could pass under the tree trunk without even having to duck their heads. What the tree had hidden, however, was that the path ended suddenly in a sharp cliff. Shati and Mimi Kedola turned to see the Yeti approaching, growling louder and louder as it came. They were trapped. But as the Yeti approached the fallen tree, something strange happened. It ran up to the trunk, then bounced off it with a dull, solid thunk. It tried again, and again bounced back from the tree trunk. It was too tall to pass underneath. The Yeti became upset, 
quickly realizing it could not get to the two hairless animals that had stolen its fur. Snarling with discontent, it finally turned and lumbered away to find a new spot to nap. Shati and Mimi Kedola watched the beast go, holding still until they could no longer see it on the horizon. Shati breathed a long sigh of relief, then turned to his father and said, You know, in all the confusion, I seem to have lost my grip on the mere god's hair. Mimi Kedola snorted and shook his head. He gestured for his son to follow him. After all, they still had that missing yak to find. The men of Eric Shipton's expedition sat around the campfire, listening with rapt attention as Dawa concluded his story. He explained, As Mimi Kedola learned, the Yeti's immense size can be used against it. This is why you will see houses in Bhutan with the threshold raised far above the floor and doorframe lies very low. To enter, a guest must raise their legs high while bending their heads in a bow. The Yeti, like other evil spirits, can neither bend its neck nor lift its legs high enough to enter. The Sherpa then fixed the men with a pointed gaze. Mimi Kedola and his son escaped, but that's not always the case. Let that be a lesson for all you men while we're out here. Nature is often fierce and not very forgiving. Best you leave it be and treat it with respect. For if you don't, you might not be so lucky. Coming up, the expedition learns that the abominable snowman is more than just a campfire tale. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231-24. Excludes tax must update rewards. Now back to the story. As they climbed Everest the next morning, Ed couldn't help but recall Dawa's face, the firelight casting strange shadows, making the smiling Sherpa's eyes seem crazed. Ed was still thinking about the Mir God, or Yeti, when he heard the expedition doctor, Michael Ward, shout from the head of the pack. Ed raced through the crowd of Sherpa porters until he reached where Dr. Ward was standing. The doctor was breathless with excitement, indicating a spot in the snow just a few feet away. Ed could make out the outline of a perfect five-toed footprint in the snow. They had seen several footprints as they'd been exploring, everything from two-toed yaks to fearsome bear paws. But this one looked like a human's foot, as if someone had been walking barefoot on the mountain. It was at least twice the size of any foot Ed had ever seen. And it was fresh. Around the campfire that night, the footprint was on everyone's minds. Dr. Ward warmed his hands around a steaming tin cup of coffee as he discussed his theory. It was made by a biped, that's for sure. Something walking on two legs, like a man. 
I'd bet my right arm it's an abominable snowman. At this statement, the group broke into a chorus of chuckles. While Ed knew the men were trying to sound brave, he sensed a tremor of uncertainty in their laughter. Dawa finished his own coffee in a great gulp, then gestured to the circle. Yes, the Yeti have become aware of us, and why not? We're in their territory now. Another round of laughter followed, this one even weaker. None of the Sherpas joined in. Dawa continued, We would all do well to remember to respect the Yeti. The spirits of the mountains can be dangerous if disturbed. You will never overpower the creature, but you might outsmart it if you keep your wits about you. Ed and the others did their best to ignore the strange cries from beyond the campsite as Dawa launched into a new story. There was once a tanner named Mimi Pema, or Grandfather Pema, and he was a man of simple pleasures. He loved his work, making beautiful leather goods out of yak hides, and he loved to drink Ara, homemade barley beer. Every fall, Mimi Pema's brother and his family would set out on their annual migration to the warm winter pastures on the plains below the mountains. Before they drove their herd of yaks through the pass, the family would have a great party in the village with many tearful goodbyes over glasses of Ara. As the party wound down and Mimi Pema's nieces and nephews busied themselves with packing, Mimi Pema and his brother continued to drink. They toasted each other's health and good fortune, cracked jokes, and told old stories. The nieces and nephews reprimanded the two old men for drinking too much, but still smiled with each new toast or drunken jest. The two brothers loved each other and would be very sad to part ways for the year. As the sun crept up over the mountains, the herd of yaks began their long march to the summer grazing lands. Mimi Pema and his brother followed behind, saying heartfelt, never-ending goodbyes. Finally, as the group reached a wooded clearing outside the village, Mimi Pema said his final farewell. Blinking hard to stay awake after staying up all night, Mimi Pema leaned back against a boulder, watching the procession grow smaller and smaller in the distance. The next thing he knew, Mimi Pema was waking up alone in the clearing. His back ached from leaning against the boulder, and his face felt hot and sunburned. His head was pounding. Perhaps he had drunk too much last night. The old man got unsteadily to his feet. He was disoriented, and the sun hung low in the sky. His head felt thick, as if it were stuffed with shaggy yak fur. Mimi Pema told himself he should go back home and take a nice rest in his own bed. That would help him feel better. Suddenly, a horrible stink washed over him, filling his mouth and nostrils. It smelled foul of rotted meat and fetid sweat. He turned around, trying to find the source of the odor. 
From the edge of the clearing came the sound of heavy footsteps. A shadow fell across Mimi Pema's path. Slowly, carefully, the old man looked up in terror. He had found the source of the smell. Standing in front of him, easily seven or eight feet tall, was a giant shaggy creature. It stood comfortably on two legs, and its broad, hairless monkey face stared back at Mimi Pema inquisitively. The creature's eyes glittered like small black beetles under its pronounced brow. The last clouds of the aura lifted as Mimi Pema began to panic. He had stumbled into the path of a yeti. If he tried to run, scream, attack, it would certainly kill him. His only hope for escape would be to outsmart the beast. Thinking quickly, Mimi Pema unhooked his sewing bag from his belt. He quickly produced a sharp bone needle, a length of thin thread, and two pieces of unfinished hide. The hide had been soaking in tree oil to cure and was still wet and pliable. As he withdrew items from his bag, he kept his eyes on the Yeti. It seemed fascinated by Mimi Pema and extremely curious about the items he produced from the bag. It was just as well, Mimi Pema thought. The longer the animal was interested, the less likely it was to attack. After procuring all his tools, Mimi Pema turned back to the Yeti. He placed his foot atop a nearby rock and gestured to the creature, showing it his tall leather boot. The Yeti was entranced. Next, Mimi Pema laid a piece of the uncured hide out on the rock. He gestured to his own boots, then to the Yeti's enormous, hairy feet. The creature seemed to understand, and it gingerly held out its foot, allowing Mimi Pema to guide it to the center of the piece of hide. Sweating nervously, Mimi Pema held out his trembling hands. He bent over the boulder and began to carefully shape the leather around the giant's massive foot. Using the bone needle and thread, he sewed the edges together, fashioning the beast a rough leather boot. The Yeti whooped with joy and immediately stuck out his other foot, gesturing for Mimi Pema to sew this one up as well. Mimi Pema gladly obliged, quickly encasing the beast's proffered foot in a second boot. The beast was ecstatic, running and jumping in its new boots like a child. Mimi Pema smiled, happy his gift had brought such joy to the Yeti, However, he knew it wouldn't last long. So while the Yeti was still distracted by its new footwear, the old man quickly backed away towards the edge of the clearing. Being a tanner for so many long years, Mimi Pema was intimately familiar with leather. He knew how to stretch and condition it, how to waterproof it, and how to care for it. And he knew that the wet hide he had used for the Yeti's new shoes had been stretched to its limit. Now that it was out of the bag where it had been curing, it would be exposed to the effects of the warm sun. 
Soon, he knew, the hide would begin to dry, and as it became dehydrated, it would shrink, trapping the Yeti's feet inside. When the Yeti finally noticed that Mimi Pema was trying to flee, it cried out in anger. It began to move towards the old man through the clearing. But as it chased the old man, the Yeti's roars of anger became cries of pain. It was limping after him, unable to run at its normal speed. The leather was already drying, hobbling the Yeti. Seeing his plan had worked, Mimi Pema broke out into a run. He flew from the clearing, using the woods as cover. He looked back and saw that the Yeti was following him, but traveling much too slow to catch him. A few minutes later, Mimi Pema looked back again. The Yeti was no more than a speck in the distance. Mimi Pema could still hear its cries of pain, growing fainter and fainter the further the old man ran. Finally, when Mimi Pema looked back a third time, he could no longer see the Yeti. He had bested the beast. When Mimi Pema arrived back at the village, he was breathless and white as a ghost. The villagers gathered around, asking him what had happened. One woman shooed them away, urging them to give the old man a moment to rest and refresh his spirit. She offered him a cup, saying, Mimi Pema, would you like some ara? But Mimi Pema shook his head. He said, No, thank you. I think I'll take a break from the ara for now. After he finished his tale, Dawa Sherpa took a sip from his canteen. Then he cleared his throat and said, Mimi Pema's story is an important one for those who set foot on the mountain. He found himself in trouble, but managed to keep his head long enough to find a way out of the crisis. Your wits, a sharp mind, awareness of your surroundings and the changing weather, these things are more valuable tools than anything you carry in those packs. Ed sat by the crackling fire long after most of the crew had gone to bed, staring into its faint orange glow. He'd heard the name Abominable Snowman plenty of times before, but had always considered the creature to be a conspiracy theory, the type of tall tale used to frighten travelers. But after hearing Dawa's stories, it was clear that the Sherpa people still respected and feared the creature as much as they feared and respected the mountain itself. He'd thought that he and the rest of Eric Shipton's crew had been ready for this expedition. They were all highly experienced mountaineers and had spent months preparing. But now he wondered if they had made a mistake by coming here. Were the stories true? Had they tempted fate by entering into the territory of something inhuman, a creature as wild and deadly as the mountain itself? Next, the Everest expedition comes face to face with a Yeti. Now, back to the story. Ed Hillary, 
Eric Shipton and the rest of their crew had already made their careers as the toughest mountaineers in the world before ever setting foot on Everest. Hillary had faced treacherous conditions and dangerous weather in New Zealand, but nothing could have prepared him for the legendary beings guarding the Himalayas. It was the day after Dawa regaled the crew with the story of the Yeti's new shoes, and the mountain had been angry all morning. The men of the British expedition hadn't dared to leave the cave they had camped in, fearing that the raging wind was just the beginning of a terrible storm. Eric Shipton, the head of the party, addressed the group at mess. He said to the men as they ate, Under no circumstances should anyone leave the confines of camp. Hunker down, boys. It's going to be a cold one. By the early afternoon, the storm had only gotten worse. Peering out from the lip of the cave, Ed could barely see more than a mile in any direction. The snows had begun in earnest, blanketing the mountainside with soft, heavy flakes. And the bad weather presented another problem. Since the men hadn't ventured from the campsite cave all day, they had burned through most of their store of firewood. Someone would have to go out in the storm to collect more. Ed Hillary was eager to volunteer. He had spotted a copse of junipers just over the ridge to the east that looked like it would make for good firewood. Dawa stood next, cheerful as ever. No man should be out in that storm alone, he insisted. He would accompany young Ed and ensure that he and the firewood made it back to the camp. Eric, the leader, considered the proposition, listening to the wind whistling outside. He peered out from the mouth of the cave, but could barely see 50 feet in any direction. Then he glanced back at the dwindling woodpile. Eric sighed, shaking his head. He could see no other solution. They had to go. He gestured to the packs full of gear sitting by the entrance of the cave. Eric said, each of you take a rucksack and a rope. Tie yourselves together. I can't have you losing each other out in this. Ed and Dawa nodded, a gleam of determination in their eyes. They would not, could not, fail in this mission. Ed took the lead, picking his way gingerly across the snow, using a long, thin bamboo branch to check ahead of him. He knew that this amount of heavy snowfall could cover up deadly cracks and crevices in the rock and ice. One wrong step and they'd find themselves plummeting into a pit. Suddenly, Ed spotted a dark shape in the snow ahead of him. It was another massive five-toed footprint. He turned to face Dawa, who was now standing beside him, Forcing a nervous grin, he said, Looks like one of those mere god prints, right, Dawa? The Sherpa didn't respond. He just stared down at the print, eyes wide with fear. Suddenly, another strange cry came out of the swirling snow. Whatever was making it sounded like it was almost on top of Ed and Dawa. Dawa shouted, 
It's too dangerous. The mere god is warning us to turn back and leave this place. But Ed refused. He pointed to the top of the small ridge, just feet away, where both men could see the tops of the small, scrubby junipers that grew at this altitude. They were too close to turn back now. Ignoring Dawa's protests, Ed pushed on through the snow. In his excitement, he threw the thin bamboo pole aside as he climbed the last few feet to the top of the ridge. As Ed reached the top, feeling the rope connecting him to Dawa draw tightly around his waist, a strange scent washed over him. Suddenly, the snow-deadened air was alive with the smell of rotting meat. Ed gagged, holding a hand to his mouth. Down the slope another 20 feet, Ed could see the juniper trees, protected from the heavy snows by the rocky outcrop he stood on. But it was what was beyond the stand of trees that caught his attention. Huddled in the snow was an enormous creature with shaggy, dark red hair. Ed froze with terror, certain that he was staring at a particularly large bear. He prayed that it hadn't noticed them yet, but even as the thought bubbled up in his mind, his hope soon turned to dismay. The creature lifted its head and locked eyes with Ed. Then it rose to its feet. It was no bear. Instead of resting on all fours, the beast stood on two tall, sturdy legs, as thick as small tree trunks. Even from this distance, Ed could see the creature's eyes glittering with intelligence. The Yeti opened its mouth and let out the loudest, blood-curdling howl that Ed had heard yet. The same strange sound they'd been hearing the past few days. The creature following them, perhaps even hunting them, was this abominable snowman. Ed turned to run. His heavy boot caught on a rock hidden under the top layer of snow. He slipped and fell backwards, tumbling down the embankment. A tremendous crack sounded from somewhere underneath Ed. It echoed across the mountain, even louder than the wailing wind. With a roaring rumble, the snow beneath Ed gave way. He was weightless, falling through the air, his body seeming to float in the darkness. It was just as Ed had feared. Hidden under the fresh snow was a deep crevasse, and Ed had fallen right in. Ed barely had time to register what was happening before the rope around his waist snapped tight, knocking the wind out of him and leaving him gasping for breath. He was dizzy, disoriented, and couldn't breathe, but at least he wasn't falling to his death. Ed could hear Dawa calling his name high above. The rope, already digging into his ribcage, squeezed even tighter. His legs brushed the jagged edge of the crevasse opening, scraping skyward. Dawa was pulling him up. 
Soon Ed felt Dawa's powerful arms under his own, and the old man pulled him out of the crevasse. They both collapsed into the snow, panting from the exertion. When Ed finally caught his breath, he thanked Dawa for saving his life. The Sherpa's brow furrowed, and he shook his head. He said, I told you we should head back. The footprint was a warning. The footprint? Ed had forgotten about it. He scrambled to his feet and looked back at the snowy plain beyond the now ten-foot-wide crevasse. The Yeti was nowhere to be seen. The young climber turned to Dawa, his voice full of fear and wonder. Dawa, did you see it? It was right there, just like you said, all covered in hair. It was making those horrible howls we've been hearing. Dawa looked thoughtful before he responded. Makes sense. You didn't listen to the mountain before, when the winds were blowing. It had to send the mere god itself to give you a stronger warning to keep your wits with you. Come, let's head back before you fall into another crevasse. Dawa turned back towards camp, seemingly uninterested in hearing more about Ed's experience with the Yeti. Ed stared at the white snowfields beyond, trying to see if the beast was still out there. Had he imagined it? As Dawa reached the end of the rope, the loop tied around Ed's waist tugged gently on his sides. He turned his back to the whistling wind and headed once more for the safety of camp. Edmund Hillary became the first man to summit Mount Everest in 1953, accompanied by the Sherpa guide Tenzing Norgay. Intrigued by the stories of the abominable snowman he heard on his many treks in the Himalayas, in 1960, Hillary set out to find the beast once and for all. Like so many others, he was unsuccessful. The Yeti did not want to be found. Though hundreds of searchers have set out over the years, a real-life Yeti has yet to be brought back from the snowy peaks of the Himalayas. For generations, the role of the abominable snowman was to put a monstrous face to the perils of Himalayan living. The nomadic peoples of the mountain range developed distinct cultures while facing severe cold, snow, high altitude, dangerous animals, and the incredible isolation of the Himalayas. Stories of the Yeti, or the Mir God, were meant to remind the indigenous Himalayans to be aware of the dangers of their extreme environment. They served as cautionary tales, advising their audience that they can survive in the harsh nature of the Himalayas as long as they rely on their wits. In Bhutan, the locals' relationship with the Yeti has been affected by globalization and tourism. While even one or two generations ago, Bhutanese people worked and lived fully in nature, now many are moving to bustling cities. Loud radios and TVs drown out the noises of Himalayan yaks lowing or the wind whistling through pine branches. But the Yeti is still important to the denizens of the Himalayas. Though most of humankind no longer lives on the edge of the deadly wild, there is still a need for caution in the woods. 
So if you find yourself alone on a mountain trail and hear a strange howl coming from somewhere deep in the forest, remember to keep your wits about you. The abominable snowman might still be out there. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more information on the abominable snowman, amongst the many sources we used, we found Gonzong Choden's book, Bhutanese Tales of the Yeti, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joel Stein. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. (laughs) ¶¶